This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, on this uh, cold and windy old day. Well, on Monday, you will recall, we spoke with Duff Conacher of Democracy Watch about some of the ways in which Newfoundland and Labrador policy is lacking in addressing things like conflict of interest, lobbying, and ethics as it relates to elected officials. Well, our guest today is independent MHA Paul Lane, who heard the show and wants to share his thoughts about what's happening and what's not happening when it comes to democratic and electoral reform in Newfoundland and Labrador. But before we speak with Paul, I wanted to remind our listeners about some of what Duff Conacher had to say about improving democracy earlier this week. Well, the first is to actually uh, close all the loopholes in the rules. And then uh, in terms of enforcement, have a fully independent commission searching for qualified candidates. And in small, smaller jurisdictions um, where everyone may know each other or everyone who may be qualified may still have too many relationships um, just because of their position in society with members of the assembly or, or people in government, then uh, the consideration should be made to actually hiring people who are from outside the jurisdiction. It's really important to have fully independent enforcement because the standard you're having to meet, which the Supreme Court of Canada has articulated, and it goes back to the old saying, uh, justice must be seen to be done, not just done. And actually, the, the actual saying from that British court case is justice must be manifestly and undoubtedly seen to be done. So the public's perception of whether these rules are being enforced properly, independently, and, and fully and strongly is key. And if you do not have a system that is fully independent, then that will always be in question. And politicians choosing their own watchdogs means that you're going to end up with lapdogs because anyone would love to choose their own judge. And it's a fatal flaw across the country, uh, a flaw that also affects many other administrative tribunals. But most importantly, these are key watchdogs that will enforce the rules that ensure that everyone acts honestly, ethically, and transparently in government. And they have to be arm's length, further than arm's length. If someone's arm's length away, you can still give them a shake and shake them in your direction of protecting you. They need to be more than arm's length away and fully independent. And no legislature across the country takes this seriously, uh, including Newfoundland and Labrador. And, and that's really key. And then there have to be mandatory penalties, a sliding scale depending on the seriousness of the violation. Do protection of privacy laws uh, hamper uh, transparency to a degree? In other words, do, do governments hide behind protection of privacy laws? They often do, and they make a claim that uh, people who are government employees uh, or anywhere in, in, in politics, uh, serving as politician, political staff, have a right to privacy, and, and it's used by a lot of the watchdogs. Uh, seen it a lot at the federal level with the integrity commissioner who is responsible for whistleblower protection, releases a report and doesn't disclose the wrongdoers who had the whistle blowing on them because uh, claims that they have a right to privacy. When you're being paid by the public, you don't have a right to privacy if you've committed wrongdoing. 
Definitely not. And you know, all that does is allow you to walk away from your job if you are even penalized with being fired and go and, and put out your resume for other jobs without people knowing that you did wrong on your, your previous job. It's very dangerous and it's an abuse of, of uh, the privacy rules. And it's actually, in most cases, wrong. Uh, there almost always is discretion to disclose the identity of wrongdoers. And, and so for anyone in government to claim that there's a right to privacy and, and because of that, they can't disclose the identity of someone who's done wrong, they're usually lying. They usually do have that discretion to actually make the disclosure because uh, wrongdoing has been committed and because the person is being paid by the public and the public has a right to know. Duff Conacher is with Democracy Watch in Ottawa. Coming up, we'll hear from independent MHA Paul Lane right after this. Save the date. VOCM's Dial a Carol. Sunday, November 27th, 1 to 6 p.m. on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is independent MHA Paul Lane, who, freed from the confines of party politics, has been increasingly vocal about democratic form. And he joins me now. Paul Lane, uh, Duff Conacher of Democracy Watch says Newfoundland and Labrador, or indicates that Newfoundland and Labrador need some electoral and um, political reform, if you will. Uh, you had uh, a listen to what he had to say. What's the situation? Well, uh, Linda, I agree with him 100%. Uh, we are in desperate need of significant uh, electoral and democratic uh, reform in this province. It's something that I've raised uh, inside and outside the House Assembly over the last number of years. And as a matter of fact, uh, during uh, Premier Ball's time in office, um, there had been established a Democratic Reform Committee. Uh, it was made up of uh, two members from the uh, Liberal government, two PCs, two NDP, and I was the independent chair. Uh, we had met a few times. And we were just, and we were deciding on, I guess, where we would start. Uh, we reached a consensus that we would start with campaign finance reform, and uh, and uh, we had worked with Engage and L, and we had uh, just about to start some public engagement. We had questionnaires uh, ready to go. We were going to do some town halls and so on. Just as we we're about to launch, uh, Premier Fury, who had moved in at that point in time, decided to call a provincial election. That kind of caught us off guard, and uh, once the election was called, the government was dissolved, and that committee was dissolved. And after Premier Fury uh, got elected and uh, formed a new administration, a new majority, um, he never reinstated the Democratic uh, Reform Committee. I did raise it in the House Assembly, asked about it, and he said, uh, "We're looking at it." and uh, uh, you know, the government house leader will reach out at some point. That was uh, a couple of years ago and uh, still nothing. So uh, what needs to be done? What do you want to see? Well, I think there are numerous reforms that uh, need to be made to make our democracy more open and transparent and uh, accountable, as Mr. Conacher said. Uh, certainly, I think uh, the campaign finance reform is a big one. Uh, you know, whether it be real or perceived, I can tell you that a lot of people certainly feel that uh, there is a, a connection that, that takes place when you look at large uh, corporations or, or could even be uh, labor unions for that, uh, re uh, for that uh, matter. But certainly large corporations and individuals of influence that are, can that are donating um, significant sums of money in some cases to uh, governing parties. 
and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you know, once the government is elected, we see uh, situations where, you know, being, this is being called into question. You're seeing a lot of those donors uh, are potentially receiving, uh, you know, um, a lot of influence within the government, are, are getting government contracts and, and so on. So whether that be real or perceived, it is a big problem. And uh, so that's a big one. We need to, uh, you know, we don't need, when we have elections here in Newfoundland and Labrador, there's a number of media outlets, for example, that will do provincial debates uh, with the leaders. And there's uh, lots of opportunities for people to go door to door, knocking on doors, talking to people. We don't need uh, to be spending the, the outrageous sums of money that we're seeing in this province right now with someone's uh, uh, faces on a, on a big bus going around the province. Not but an ego trip, in my opinion. And uh, it's, it's just simply not necessary. Uh, you know, it shouldn't be about who has the glossiest brochures, the most brochures, the most media ads. Uh, it should be, uh, and the most uh, election signs littering the highways and byways. It should be about who has the best ideas, who has the best vision for uh, Newfoundland Labrador, um, and, uh, you know, who has a proven track record to best represent the people. And we've really gotten away from that over the years, and it's all about who can spend the most money to try to manipulate, uh, you know, the vote and to be successful. That should never be what it's about, but that's where we're to. So campaign finance reform, um, certainly reducing the amount of money that's being spent by parties, by individuals, the amount of money that can be donated to parties and individuals, I think that's definitely somewhere where we need to start. Uh, but there are many other reforms uh, which we could talk about as well. Why don't we have an ethics commissioner? Well, that's a good question. We certainly need one. Uh, you know, again, uh, we've seen instances raised uh, even in recent weeks. Uh, you know, I'm not going to harp on them. We all know what they are about fishing trips and, 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 and contracts as being uh, awarded and so on. Uh, questions being called, you know, people being called, question on, on different matters where there's either, you know, real or certainly perceived conflicts of interest. And uh, that's, that's, that's where an ethics commissioner would be uh, needed. And uh, somebody who's totally independent, who can sort of, um, I guess, you know, look at the evidence, uh, do an investigation, and someone that has the, that, that independence and the teeth to be able to do something about it, to, to have the, you know, appropriate penalties. And, and having people in those positions that are simply appointed by government is not the way to go. I agree with Mr. Conacher. Uh, the appointment process has to be totally independent. Those individuals need to be totally independent. And, uh, and to be able to hold, you know, governments and, and all members uh, accountable and, and to prevent any real or perceived conflicts from uh, occurring within within our system. Our guest today on On Target is independent MHA Paul Lane. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is independent MHA Paul Lane. We're talking about uh, democratic or electoral reform. And Paul... Is part of the problem here the fact that the, it's the politicians who ultimately make these decisions? How do you take it out of that realm? How do you do what's right for democracy for the people of Newfoundland and Labrador? Well, well, I mean, like, here's one thing that just comes to mind. Uh, the Liberal government, this is uh, under Doy Paul, I think, they brought in this independent uh, appointments commission. Uh, all sounded good. 
Well, here's the part that a lot of people don't know. Uh, we, we, we set up this Independence Appointment Commission to look at these high-profile um, you know, positions on boards and agencies, commissions, and so on. Um, so they go, through, uh, they, they go through a process, a vetting process. I, I'm not suggesting that people going through this process are not qualified. I'm, they certainly are, and, and I'm not uh, questioning the people that are on the Independent, uh, Independent Appointments Commission. They do their job. I believe they do it well. The problem is, is that when a position comes up, they'll recommend uh, three uh, individuals for that role. Now, the part that a lot of people don't realize is that those three names go to the minister of whatever department would be applicable. Uh, the minister does not have to choose either of those three. He can ignore. He, he can ignore the recommendations and pick somebody uh, who never even uh, applied for the position and he doesn't even and there's no mechanism where he has to let the house of assembly the public or anyone know that he did that so that's a that's a major flaw so for one thing as mr conacher had suggested if we're going to have an independent appointments commission that are going to recommend people well then there, there, there should be in my view there should uh, be a requirement to go with the recommendation uh, and if there is some, you know, uh, unknown reason, uh, some legitimate reason why that why there is a problem with a particular individual that perhaps the commission wasn't aware of, if the minister is not going to go with that, then the minister should be required to make it public that, uh, that that he went outside of those recommendations and have to explain to the public why that happened. That that's one thing that does not exist now, and that's why. You know, uh, I know myself and other members of the opposition have been very critical of the independent appointments uh, process, uh, not because we don't have respect for the people who have been on the independent appointments commission, not because we don't feel that they're doing their job, but simply because the system is set up in a way that the minister can circumvent the, uh, the recommendations and put whoever he or she wants to put there, and none of us will be any the wiser. Uh, so that's one thing right off the bat that definitely could be done to make the system uh, better. Uh, I think we also need to be looking at uh, things like were, were uh, pointed out by the Privacy Commissioner, uh, duty to documents legislation. We've seen in the Muskrat Falls inquiry, uh, as an example, uh, where the Premier of the day and other ministers and people were going into high-level meetings talking about a project, and apparently nobody made any notes which is absolutely ludicrous, and you can see how how that could cause major problems if there are if there are decisions being made on uh, various things of uh, importance within government, and uh, and in in order to avoid having uh, that information uh, fall under the access to information, so we can know what's going on, we'll just simply do everything verbally, and we won't take any notes. So now there's no record of anything we talked about, or any decisions made, or any rationale for decisions made that's something that needs to change we can look at lobbyist legislation and having read and and that that would have to uh, people had to be registered to be lobbyists and so we can keep track of what's going on there uh looking at things like blind trusts is another is, is another one that comes to mind uh you know the blind trusts in my mind is uh, is, is our joke quite frankly uh, i mean i can take my business interests hand it over to my family member or friend or or partner and then all of a sudden i'm still in a position to influence the business but i'm going to somehow uh forget about that because my business is in a blind trust it's absolutely ludicrous and then of course we have 
numbered companies that are doing business with government or benefiting from government services and programs and benefits and so on. Uh, and we don't even know who these people are. That's something that needs to be cleaned up. So there are any number of things I can talk about now. I can talk about uh, Newfoundland Labrador Hydro and, and, and Oil Co. And how, how they are still exempt from access to information uh, legislation. That they're exempt, that they can, if you go to, to Hydro, for example, and, and you're looking for a particular piece of information, uh, they, can, they can hide behind uh, commercial sensitivity. And they are the only arbiter. Whereas it should be the privacy commissioner. If you go to uh, Oil Co. or you go to uh, Newfoundland Hydro looking for information, and if they're going to say the information is commercially sensitive, uh, then you should be able to appeal to the privacy commissioner. Currently, you can't do that. So they can call everything commercially sensitive and not provide you with any uh, information. And the list goes on and on and on. We can talk about the whistleblower legislation, the House Assembly Accountability Integrity Administration Act, all the issues we've seen arising out of the uh, whistleblower report for elections in Newfoundland and Labrador and, and all the chaos that has ensued since then because we have legislation that's totally full of holes, not worth the papers written on. Linda, I could go on and on and on, but I won't. But uh, I would suggest to you that there's a lot of work to be done as it relates to democratic reform in this uh, province. I'm, as one member, certainly willing to do that work. Uh, like I say, we did have a committee set up. Uh, it got quashed uh, once the election was called, and this premier apparently has no interest in reinstating that committee and trying to uh, put in any of the necessary reforms that we require to make our province more open and accountable. You mentioned commercial sensitivity, and when I was speaking with Duff Conacher, I asked him about privacy legislation, and I asked him whether or not governments are hiding behind privacy legislation in order not to uh, reveal uh, certain things. And uh, he said, absolutely. What are your thoughts on that? I agree, 100%. Uh, like I say, you can call anything commercially sensitive. Uh, another one they like to use all the time is a cabinet document. For example, and this I'll give you a great example. Um, just before the House closed, we, we passed a piece of legislation, or I should say government passed a piece of legislation in the House uh, as it related to the, uh, as it related to the uh, school boards. And, um, and, uh, and when asked, uh, you know, uh, for how they were making the decisions uh, around that legislation, what they were basing uh, their decisions on and so on, they said it was based on a report, the consultant's report that they had issued. And uh, I said, okay, well, that's great. Uh, can I see a copy of that report and see the recommendations and see where you reach your conclusions in developing this legislation? They said, no, it's cabinet documents, so you can't see it. So you want me to vote for changes uh, to our education system uh, based on um, some consultants' report and work that you've done to say that this is the right way to go, uh, but we're not going to share any of that information with you. Just trust us. So, you know, that's, that's, that's another example of... Uh, of access to information. In this case, we're hiding behind. We're going to call everything everything we don't want to share. Uh, we'll just bring it to a cabinet meeting and get the clerk to stamp it and call it a cabinet document. And uh, otherwise, we can go with commercial sensitivity. And the other one they like to use is uh, is uh, client solicitor privilege. We uh, we have a report or we have some information. We'll share it with our lawyer uh, up in the Department of Justice and get some uh, 
get some quote-unquote advice, uh, all of a sudden now it's protected under client-to-client solicitor privilege, so we don't have to share that either. This is the kind of stuff that's going on, and uh, it does nothing to improve our democratic system. It only lends itself to uh, more uh, mistrust uh, by, the, uh, by, by the general public. And this is the kind of stuff that definitely needs to be cleaned up. And I, I, as one member, am certainly, as I say, more than willing to get working on cleaning some of this stuff up. But there has to be, the will has to be there from the government. They're the only ones who uh, have the ability to bring forward legislative change. I can uh, work with them. I can support that change. We can debate that change. But I cannot bring it forward. Only they can. But unfortunately, they're just not willing to do so. Our guest today on On Target is independent MHA Paul Lane. We'll be back right after this. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. And our guest today is independent MHA Paul Lane. We're talking democratic reform or electoral reform. Uh, some time ago, there was some conversation, of course, about recall legislation. Um, and uh, while it was in the uh, government, uh, the sorry, the public domain for a little while, it seems to have gone off the radar. Where are we with that? Uh, well, we're, we're we're nowhere with it. Just like uh, campaign finance reform and everything else, it's uh, it's all. Uh, pretty much dead uh, right now. Uh, I know the, I, I think it was the PC party, I believe under Mr. Crosby, uh, I think it was one of the planks in uh, their campaign, if I'm not mistaken, uh, recall legislation. It's certainly something, I know there are pros and cons to it. People have uh, uh, different points of view around it. I think they are using it in British Columbia. Uh, it's certainly something that uh, I would like to get more information on and something that I would be certainly open uh, to uh, as long as it can be done in a in a reasonable way that makes sense but uh, this whole concept of holding people accountable uh, is where we need to go and because uh, right now what we have is uh, you know democracy in many ways uh, ends at the ballot box once a government is elected uh, and particularly if they receive a majority um, you know they're going to do whatever they like and that's just the way it is. And I can remember, I, I've, I've said this many times, and because I can remember uh, Tom Marshall, I believe, at the time, in the House of Assembly one time, he said, uh, oppositions have their say, government has its way. And that's just how it works, always been that way. And uh, like you say, once they get in, they have the majority. Uh, you know, I can call, I can cry foul on lots of stuff, and other members can, the opposition can. We can raise, you know, different issues of concern to the general public and so on. But at the end of the day, government is going to do uh, whatever they like. And uh, so I think having a mechanism like recall legislation, whereby if somebody is totally offside with the public, uh, making poor decisions or involved in any kind of activity that just wouldn't be acceptable, then I think having that mechanism in place to uh for for you know for constituents to recall their member i think it's a good thing uh i think it would hold people's feet to the fire and even if there was even if uh you know nobody actually got recalled but you the fact that you would have people in your district that uh would be that upset with your actions that would even initiate the process i think that would send a message no member would want that to happen so i think they would be 
uh, trying their very their level best to be acting in the best interest of their constituents. Right now, as I say, that's not necessarily the case. They can come in, once they're elected, do what you like for four years. And whether the people like it or not, whether it's what's best for your constituents or not, uh, a lot of times you see those type of things happening. So uh, anytime we can put a mechanism in place that's going to hold members accountable to the people who elect them, I think it's a good thing. After many, many years, we finally have whistleblower legislation. Now the citizen's rep has put together this report, and he's being wrapped on the knuckles. Do you think that um, uh, what's happened in the last little while has a, a dampening effect on anyone who wants to come forward and say, hey, I'm not sure what's happening here is, is what should be happening? Yeah, 100%. We've set the process back for years, in my opinion. Uh, right now, um, the way things are currently, based on what has happened, and based on what I've learned, certainly from the legislation and the holds that are in there, I would not recommend anybody to go through this process right now. If someone came to me about uh, you know, being a whistleblower uh, and asked for my advice, um, I, I, I wouldn't advise them to do it. Uh, we, need, we, we need significant changes there as well. Uh, the whistleblower legislation, which is sort of uh, tied into the House Assembly Accountability Integrity Administration Act, um, it, it needs it needs some serious reform. Um, right off the bat, there's a there's for one thing, uh, based on uh, Justice Green's uh, involvement in this last case, uh, there's 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 an obvious conflict there between protecting um, the protecting the whistleblower in terms of uh, you know in terms of their anonymity and so on uh, versus the right of the accused to know who's accusing them and and to have those details that was why some of those uh, based on what judge green was saying that's why uh, he said a couple of those items should have been sort of cast aside and not held against the uh, chief electoral officer uh, because he wasn't given all the information as to who said what about him was what I gathered. So there's there's a there's a there's a conflict in uh, that exists that that needs to be clarified in that legislation uh, as we move forward. But then on top of that, we also have issues around the handling and uh, of of the uh, of the whistleblower case in, in terms of this one with elections Newfoundland and Labrador. And as I said to you when we spoke there the other day. We never would have got to any of this point, uh, I don't believe, uh, you know, with this uh, complaint against the privacy commissioner and so on, had um, had the file been handled properly once it uh, reached the speaker's office. The problem we have, though, is with the legislation, is that after the uh, citizens rep did his report and handed it off to the speaker. Uh, the legislation does give a number of options to the speaker of what he would do that report in terms of who he would give it to, but there are no time frames. So to my mind, once he received that report, uh, looking at it from a reasonable person's point of view, you know, I, I would say he should have, you know, taken a day or two, even a week to review the file, uh, to read the report, understand the contents, and then decide, okay, where does it go next? Um, a week would have been reasonable. He took three months, and had I not raised this in the House, perhaps it would have been six months, or maybe never would have raised. Well, ne never would have seen the light of day. Who knows? But the fact of the matter is, there was no time limits in the legislation. He could have hung on to it for three years, and technically, he wouldn't be breaching the act. So that's a major problem. There has to be a time frame. 
uh, from which he has to act. Then, of course, when it when it comes to what does he do to re- with the report, there does there is some options listed, uh, like the auditor general, the attorney general, and so on that he would give it to. But uh, again, it doesn't uh, it doesn't clarify it to when he would give it to either of these individuals for what purpose and so on. And there's no there's nothing there to say that the House Assembly Management Commission or the House Assembly in general, for that matter, uh, be notified that this is going on. So technically speaking, uh, there was no requirement to notify members of the House that this is even happening. And that's why it didn't happen, uh, because the legislation doesn't expressly require that to happen. These are things that need to change, and if they don't change, then the legislation, as I said, is not worth papers written on. And we've seen the results of that through this uh, uh, latest fiasco. Our guest today on On Target has been Paul Lane, independent MHA from Mount Pearl Southlands. Thanks so much for taking the time with us, Paul. We'll be back tomorrow. Do stay tuned. We have uh, Jessica McCormick, the new president of the Federation of Labor, joining us. Uh, Stay tuned for that, and thanks for listening.